7.03, and you know what time it is. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well. Ira, huge show on tap tonight. We are just about, what, uh, an hour and a half, two hours away from knowing who the national championship of the NCAA is. And it's not who you would prefer it to be. We'll talk about that uh, in just a second. Mike Isolino going to join us in a little bit. Uh, if you're a regular on this show, you know all about Mike Isolino. But if you're new to Ira on Sports, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mike? Well, Mike's great because he was a player. He was one of the star college basketball players for St. Francis, Pennsylvania. Led his team to the NCAA basketball tournament and almost upset uh, top-ranked Arizona, and then he went and played two years as a starting point guard for the Dallas Mavericks, and then played ten years in Europe as one of the top point guards in the world in uh, in Italy. So, uh, uh, just an amazing career. Now he's the uh, associate coach at Robert Morris uh, College. Uh, they had a great year this year, almost made the tournament. So we'll have his insight on the tournament. And I think he has a, and also we can make him some comments in terms of which players he thinks might make it to the pros. I'm really excited about your insight on the tournament as well. We'll get to that in a second. Did you happen to see, uh, I think he's one of the most underrated players in all of baseball, Jamison Ta- uh, Talon, Ta- Talon from uh, your Pittsburgh Pirates today. Took one off the head. I, I guess he's okay though. He stayed in the game for the rest of the inning. But uh, this guy's really good. And that'd be a tough law. I mean, Really interesting start to the season for the Pirates. You guys' bullpen just can't seem to can't seem to hold it together. I. Well, I think we're going to talk about we're going to get into baseball predictions. Um, it's really depressing being a Pirate fan because I feel like they they really had were on the cusp of being this great team and they didn't sign any. They signed no free agents and the <laughs> only one they had was Ivanova. They gave away. So they I want I and everyone in Pittsburgh they're used to the Penguins. They're used to the Steelers. They're used to winners and the Pirates just I mean they used to be winners but it's been so long. Any chance they'll bring in Craig Kimbrell? I mean I've been saying this forever. He's just sitting out there, one of the best closers you know of the last five years. He's a free agent. You guys need the bullpen help. We'll, we'll see that. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Ira, we always start off the show with where have you been? And usually I'm saying, man, you, I don't know how you do it, but this might be one of your more quiet weeks. No, I, I actually was just watching a lot of NBA basketball and certainly watching the uh, getting watching the Final Four this weekend. I would have been up there at the Final Four if Duke played, but without Duke being there, I didn't, I didn't go. It, it's funny. It's a busy time in sports, but also not. You know, there's a lot of exciting events going on, like the Masters. We're kicking that off this week. NCAA tournament, baseball starting. But no, none of these marquee events that you always find yourself at. Um, all right, I, let's talk about it. NCAA, you are kind of changing your mind on some opinions you gave on the show last week. And I think you're now in the camp that this is a disaster that Duke is not here. Yeah, I, I, this millennial that uh, someone, uh, this millennial who listened to our show, I think he's like eighteen. He told me <laughs> I don't make enough strong takes on certain positions, which I think I have had strong. I, the, I said last year the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be the number one team in the East this year, and look, they're the number one team. And I said Adipenko is going to be MVP candidate, and now he's probably going to win the MVP over Harden. So yeah. I think I have strong takes, but. I think last week I was in shell shock from Duke's loss. And the more you think about it, and then you watch, when you're watching the games this weekend, this was, it just, it's clear that it was complete and utter disaster. Duke not winning the title this year is like Usain Bolt on a 200-meter race, getting a 50-meter head start and still losing the race. There is no reason why Duke not only didn't get to the Final Four, but win the national championship. They had by far the most talented players. They Mm -hmm. had players like Zion Williamson that are, when you look at Michigan State, you look at Texas Tech, you look at Virginia, you look at Auburn, the players Duke had were far superior. And this comes down to, and I said, I can't criticize someone who's won five titles, but I can. I really should. Because you can still be the great at something you do and then just have a bad t- bad mm. year I mean like for instance I'll compare it to music I like Depeche Mode a lot that's a group I listen to they've had some amazing songs but I've go to these concerts and they have some songs that they've made but no one listens to no <laughs> one cares and they're really awful and this year Coach K I, this was just an awful coaching job. And it's not just being a coaching job. It's being the general manager of your team. You've already got Zion. You've got R.J. Barrett. You've got Cam Reddish. You have these three people that are going to be, these are going to be the three top players in the draft. These are not only three top players in the draft, but two that might have been the best players in a decade to come in the draft between <laughs> Barrett and, 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 and so, oh, so let's see what we might need to do. Let's get perhaps, because these are creators, some three-point shooters. What three-point shooters on the team? Duke was the worst in the country, 323 out of 350 in three-point shooting. And why? But they shouldn't be that bad. With Zion and Barrett driving, they draw so many defenders to them. Like when Zion drives, I have pictures, and you can go on my Instagram account, 
Iron Sports. It has some great pictures of Zion against Michigan State. And you'll see plays where he's like guarded by five other players. He, and then he throws it out to an open Cam Reddish, an open Jack White, an open Alex O'Connell. Not with someone with their hands in the face. And they're just missing three-pointers again and again and again. I just don't understand why Duke and Coach K realizes, can I just bring somebody in? They, at some point, should have had walk-on tryouts from anybody at Duke, <laughs> from the Duke's campus. Because I've been, when I went to law school there, I saw those games were great. Find somebody who can drain three-pointers. Just say, look, you really have to do that much more to shoot three-pointers. Because the way they play basketball today on defense, okay, he doesn't have to play 40 minutes of defense. He has to play maybe 15 minutes. But someone who can hit three or four uh, three-pointers. And you look at like, like um, uh, uh, Texas Tech. They brought Mooney in from South Dakota State. You had uh, Moretti from Bologna, Italy. I mean, you're, bring, you're finding people that are not superstars or not whatever, but bring them into the program and shoot. Duke is on this beautiful campus. They, it's, it's so pretty. It's so nice. It has great education. You're telling me you can't find it's shooters not, It's to not come that there? hard to sell. <laughs> I, would, I literally would have. And then they also had, one of the problems Duke's had in the past is size. Sometimes they've had these athletic players, but not. But they had Delorier. They had Bolden. Bolden at one point was one of the top recruited centers in the country. They had two top big guys at all all they needed was a shooter. All they needed was shooters. And I just cannot believe that Coach K could not have found shooters, even in the middle of the year, but even before coming to this in saying, look, I need to have five shooters on this team. This reminds me of what happened to LeBron James this year. I mean, to put a team... The to, same thing almost. To put a team together with the Lakers, not have someone who LeBron who drives. I mean, you need the Kyle Corvers. Who cares he's 45 years old? I mean, literally, I, if I had LeBron, I'd put 50-year-olds out there who can shoot the ball and just strain threes. Steve Kirk. Right, because <laughs> when he drives down, he people follow him. You have to put two people to cover him. Zion has a great first step. He's big and you have to put many defenders. RJ Barrett, the same thing. Just give him shooters to shoot and not do it. That's that. But even without the shooters, this team was terrible. The fact that Zion is so talented and RJ Barrett is so talented and they have them both of them stand around and do nothing during these games is crazy. Now, Seth Greenberg is the only person I think on TV. I mean, Coach K, you can't criticize. I mean, he is like Teflon. You're right, he's Teflon. Unbelievable down. that no one criticized. He said, look, he got used to playing in the Olympics, this positionless basketball. When you had LeBron and Dwayne Wade and you put Durant and Kurt, you put all these people out there and they, because they're NBA pros, 10 years of playing, they know how to play. They know how to pass the ball. And also they're not, they're playing teams that are like, uh, you, you know, Angola. They're not <laughs> playing these so of course it's easy to coach those teams. Now I know there's some teams that are better than others, but the idea of positionless basketball, but it doesn't work with 18 year old players. Run plays for Zion. Get Zion in positions where he can dominate because no one can guard him one-on-one. But there was no plays running. I have other people pictures, uh, Iron Sports Instagram account, again, is of Zion and, Cam and, and R.J. Barrett standing next to each other, just standing and like just handing the ball, not running a play, and some one of them just like throwing up a three-point shot. This was terrible. Duke should be in this final game. I mean, he, people, people are like, I'm not excited about this game. Texas Tech, Virginia is so boring. But Duke should be in this. And, and we took it, we look in years past at teams that have lost in these type of games, like when Georgetown with Patrick Ewing lost to Villanova. It was a huge upset. Villanova shot like 75%, made every shot, played amazing defense. Raleigh Massimino became a legend off mm -hmm. that game. Did, is Tom Izzo going to become a legend off the Michigan State Duke game? No. Duke <laughs> looked terrible this entire tournament. Yeah. It, it didn't take it didn't take the most superhuman performance of, of all time. They didn't have Duke. a convincing 10 minutes this entire tournament. No. It's unbelievable. And, and you go back to it in 2016. Like they won the national title in 2015 with Okafor, uh, Justice Winslow, and then Tyus Jones. And then you come back in 2016. They had Brandon Ingram, Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, all players who play the NBA. They lost to the Sweet 16 to Oregon. 2017, they had Harry Jack who unfortunately got injured but plays for Sacramento. They had Grayson Allen, Jared Tatum, who's the star yeah. of the Boston Celtics, and Frank Jackson, who is an up-and-coming player in the league, plus Bolden, and they lost in the round of 32. They couldn't even make it to the Sweet 16 to South Carolina. Then the year, then last year, with Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Gary Trent, uh, Duvall, these are all like these 95, like five-star-plus recruits, mm -hmm. Elite Eight with Kansas. And now this year with Zion Barrett and Regis. This is ridiculous. He's now gone one, two, three, four years of not even making it to the final four with, I'm with not, consensus best players with the, the best players yeah. and I just I it's just and I just again and I, I don't want to hear this well these other teams have had five seniors that shows Texas Tech Owens is from St. John's he's new Mooney is from South Dakota State he's new this year uh, uh, Culver is only in his second year it's not like this whole Texas Tech team's been playing Beard's only been coaching for three years it's not like he's been here 10 years and developed this program he put together a team why in the world can Coach K not get not for him not to get shooters but also 
not to coach this team better this year, I, it's beyond me. It's 7-13. Ira, you're, you're going tonight. I like this. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. You know what it kind of reminds me of, Ira? If you went back one level, and it was a, two high school teams playing, but one team has one or two players that are destined for college. All you're going to do is give them the ball the entire time, let them figure it out, because the rest of the guys aren't going to hit threes if, if they get the ball past them. Anyways, that seems kind of like what Coach K's plan was here. There's no, um, you know strategizing the way Michigan State was this entire tournament, or Texas Tech, obviously, or Virginia, because they have to play that way. This was just, well, I got the, I got the two or three best players. Give them the ball. Let, let them win the game. This reminds me, I, I can, two comparisons to this. When Wade, Bosch, and LeBron, that first year. Now, remember, Wade was still healthy. Wade was young. Wade was, was a superstar in the NBA. You had LeBron. You had Bosch. And they lose to Dallas Mavericks. Who had the Dallas Mavericks? J.J. Barea was their point guard. <laughs> J.J. Barea and Dirk Nowitzki. That's who beat them in the in yeah. NBA Finals. And then the other one was when Kobe and Shaq, in their prime, Kobe and Shaq lost to the Pistons with nobody, Chauncey Billups. That was ridiculous. How does Kobe that and Shaq— was a good Detroit team. It was okay, but none of them— Maybe Chauncey could be in the Hall of Fame in a million years. But Kobe and Shaq were in their prime, and they lost that game. But what I'm saying is, but this is even worse than that. This is just inexcusable. This was terrible. And I don't know, next year, Duke has one huge recruit, uh, Carey, coming in. But I'm just— just completely disappointed in, in that. And I think we're going to watch this game an hour and a half. And I just can't believe Duke's not in that game. And I just think it's a, Coach K is just a horrendous. It gets you to get an F. An F for the season. The no, F, you're right. You have these players. You have players that are so far superior, and they're and they're un, they, and they're unselfish. Zion wants to pass the ball. Uh, yeah, Zion's where he hustles around. Uh, they're, they're great at defense. I mean, I don't know what happened this year. I don't know what if he couldn't communicate to the team or whatever. But this was a horrendous coaching job on his part. Um, I remember we got about six minutes until we're joined by our uh, good friend of the show, Mike Isolino. He's a coach at Robert Morris. He'll join us uh, here to talk all about this. But let's get into uh, you know what got us here to the game. We're gonna see tonight and I got to tell you I really my favorite game maybe of this entire um, tournament so far was Virginia Auburn it was a great game tell us about it well I think the, worth, the, the key of the game is Ty Jerome. And tonight when you watch the game, just watch. He, he has now scored or assisted on 48% of all the, all the points. It's, and uh, uh, it's interesting that UVA has been averaging 60 possessions a game. 60 possessions, which is the, sl the slowest pace of any team in the tournament. Their average possession takes 20 seconds. Um, it, was, it was one of those games where Auburn, we talked about this, Auburn, uh, get up and down, they're going to score 110 points, and Virginia's going to score whatever. Well, the slowdown worked, and the slowdown caused Auburn to struggle most of the game. Um, at the halftime, it was 31-28 Auburn, which is, it was very weird. They were up 31-28, but I still felt Virginia was sort of had control. They were playing that slowdown game. But then starting the second half, there was, it was just amazing that they, uh, they, it, it was, it, they just, it, Virginia just went out to, they scored the net first six points, 34-21. After five minutes, Auburn didn't even score a point. So they went five minutes without scoring. They were at one point, they were three for 14 from the three point line. Uh, and it was interesting. Uh, Hunter and Nikichichi for, uh, Virginia had nine blocks apiece. It seemed like every time Auburn wanted to go inside, they actually blocked. And I think that's mm -hmm. going to be the difference in this game. I think they have shot blockers, and I think those guys are going to cause some problems when Texas Tech tries to go inside. And I thought that was very important in that game. One thing that happened in this game is that there was no stoppages. Did you notice at the end of the first half, there was a, they usually stop at 16, 12, 8, and 4, the first dead ball. Mm -hmm. There was not a dead ball in the game after four minutes. And what was weird is they, they, they stopped calling fouls. I mean, there were times people talk about, oh, they should have called the double dribble at the end of the game they were calling any fouls mm -hmm. during the whole game they no, were really right. and it was like that physical nature but helped Virginia because I think Virginia's a more physical team and was able to take advantage of that as the uh, as, as the game went on um, but it, you know it was weird Jerome took over in the second half he uh, he had uh, he had he makes a three to make it 50 43 and then Harper for Auburn made a key uh, shot but Jerome had another he had he had two more threes and take it to 57 47 I mean that was so they're up by 10 so people think oh my god Auburn was robbed but Virginia really had this game under control but then Jerome it was really funny what he did with with seven minutes to go he had one foul he put he picked up three quick fouls so with four minutes he commits another foul and suddenly he's out of the game which I would have never in the million years taken him out of the game so he goes out of the game they're up 10 and suddenly they blow the lead because Brown hits a three Harper hits a three and it went to 9-0 run for Auburn and then when Virginia missed two free throws at 57-56 they come down and took the lead at 59-57 Brown could have been the superstar with a three and then but then Jerome comes back in the game and he's like oh my gosh I have to somehow win this so he gunned the ball up a bunch of times he had like two Two bad three-point shots where they didn't really run the rotation and they looked like the desk. They looked like a team that was going to lose to UMBC. That's how bad they mm -hmm. looked. But then at the end of the game, they were able to get. I mean, first of all, uh, 
um, you know, they made they were up 61-57, but then Guy hit that three. Now, the key one was a guy hit from the quarter, that three-point shot. And then Harper only made one out of two foul shots. We talked about the girls' basketball game with Notre Dame. We're talking about Guy, guy making it. You know, these foul shots at the end of the game are crucial. And then, and when he, and he, then so that gave a chance for uh, when Jerome dribbles the ball up, Everyone says, well, he double dribbled. Well, he did double dribble, but I've never seen double dribble caused at the, called at the end of the game. And then clearly mm. he was, then Guy, when he threw the ball to the corner, was fouled. I mean, I don't, they said, oh, it's a controversial call at the end of the game. You cannot go up for a shot, have someone run into you and land with nowhere to run and that not be a foul. I mean, mm. that's as blatant as the New Orleans Saints LA Ram <laughs> play in terms of a foul. I don't even think that, I mean, any, in any division, high school, college, pro, you can't just jump up and have someone run into you and not call it a foul. So I thought it was an ending guy, but to give Guy credit, he came to the line and made uh, three free throws. You know, he had 15 points. Hunter finished with 14. Jerome, 21 points, nine rebounds, six assists. And they ended up shooting 49%. And Auburn, nine for 31 from three-point shots, 29%. Eventually, these great three-point shooting teams that just rely so much on three-point shots, it doesn't work. And the great defense of Virginia ended up winning the game. We're going to have uh, Mike Islino on in just a second. You want to run uh, Michigan State, Texas Tech real quick, or you want to uh, you want to just go right to Mike? I think we might have him. Let's go with let's go with Mike and talk about it because I think as he I, I I'm going to we're going he's going to he's on right now I think I believe so. My, Mike uh, Mike Islino, uh, coach at Robert Morris, are you here on the line? I on sports. I am on the line. Uh, Mike, I think you may um, have set a record tonight. I think you have the, you're the correspondent with the most appearances on Iron Sports. So congratulations uh, for for being so awesome for us. Um, you know, Mike, before we get into, you know, breaking all this down, I'll ask you the question. Do you think we got the two best teams in this game tonight? And obviously, you know, you can say Duke had more talented players, and I'm, you might have heard Ira, you know, ranting about that. But as far as teams go, you think we got the two best? No, I don't think you have the two best. I think you have the, the, the two teams that were able to win on a given night. Uh, you know, that's the one thing about college basketball that I think makes so much excitement for everybody compared to like NBA or professional sports where, you know, usually the best team wins in, in the pro sports because it's a seven-game series. Uh, in college basketball, anything can happen, and I think that's what makes it really exciting. Um, I do think Virginia is definitely one of the top five teams uh, in the country. There's no question about that. I think they are definitely one of them. Um, you know, obviously Texas Tech has had a phenomenal run in the tournament, um, and, and you know they're playing tonight, so they're definitely you know they're one of the best. But I don't think I don't think they're the most talented team, uh, but they were they were the best team on on each given night on on the five given nights that they had to play. So, Mike, tonight, Texas Tech, Virginia, you have two teams that want to slow the ball down. I mean, I think Virginia was averaging sixty possessions a game, and Texas Tech was a few under that. Is there any chance that either of these teams are going to try to play out of their game and maybe actually uh, try to try to speed the pace up because they're both they both know they're, they they play at a very slow pace. Is there a chance or just going to you think we're going to have that score of 50, 50 45 or a fifty five fifty game? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the score is going to be. I think both teams will play at their pace. Uh, you know, Virginia plays like that pace all year long, so they're really used to it. Um, you know, Texas Tech in the Big 12 has obviously been able to play at different paces, uh, but they changed the game so much because of their length and their athleticism and their defensive ability. Um, you know, if you have 60 possessions and, and and you shoot the ball at 50% during those possessions, you can still score 70 points. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? By getting to the line, by making threes. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, I, I think it could be a game where you're going to see, you know, low 60s. Uh, you know, because of the pace of the game and number of possessions. Um, it seems like each, I mean, Culver's the star for Texas Tech, but Moretti's had a great game against Gonzaga. Mooney had a good game la the last game. What, in terms of, and it seems like they have, it, someone can always step up from a team from Texas Tech. What, in terms of coaching, and is that going to make, is that difficult for Virginia now to understand, like, who they, they can say, we're going to take Culver out, but if Moretti or, Mo or Mooney can also score, that's going to pose uh, serious problems in terms of trying to just take Culver out, because they've now proven they can win when Culver doesn't. Culver had a horrendous game the last game, and they were still able to advance to the championship game. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think Virginia, uh, I think Virginia's a little bit defense, different defensive team than a lot of teams. You know, we played against Virginia two years ago. Robert Morris, and you know they don't really eye up one guy to try to take him out of the game. I think they play such great pack line defense and gap defense and help defense. Uh, you know they trap guys in the post 
that really don't deserve to be trapped, but that's kind of their M.O., that they've, they, you know, they've gotten away from it a little bit this year. But throughout the course of years, they, they trap guys in the post that really uh, you know, are not big-time scorers. I think they're going to stay with their philosophy. I don't think that they, they're a type of team that goes and says, hey, we have to stop Culver, we have to stop Moretti, or whoever. You know what I mean? I, I think they just play great team defense. I think the only way Texas Tech has a chance to win is if Culver has a really, really big game. Uh, tonight where he can get to his average in, in, in the tournament where it's around 21, 22 a game. So Chris Beard's been getting a lot of credit, and deservingly so, for this tournament. I think maybe a little overhyped. I mean, he seems to be the only coach that maybe uh, schedules his practices and to the down to the minutes and has everything organized. I guess you probably don't. You just probably roll the ball out in your practices and just shoot for two hours, but it seems like he's getting extra credit. But I would say on the one point is that he has assembled, and this is sort of like, I know you do this in terms of with Robert Morris, you actually almost are the general manager of your team. He's really put together a team from different players, from Owens, from St. John's, who's a shot blocker, from Mooney, who's a scorer, and, 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 and for Culver, and for Reddy. It seems like different players, but they seem to fit in well. Talk about when, you put this, when you're even putting a team together for Robert Morris, like you're, you're looking not just to get the three best players in the world, but actually get players that complement each other on the team. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think any time a team gets to the Final Four, they're always looking for different storylines. Um, and storylines to hype, and right now it's you know basically the the, the Chris Beard story, and obviously the uh, the story of Virginia, how they've rallied from losing to a 16 seed to taking that to a national championship game. So I think CBS and in the national media always look for storylines to really hype up, um, you know, for that. But I think it does take a you know it's it's different. Recruiting has really changed over the course of the last four or five years in a sense of where you can now get grad transfers. You can get transfers that can play right away, um, you know, and you have to be able to blend them together and find the right pieces. You know, Texas Tech lost a lot of good pieces last year, but he's able to, you know, fill in some spots and, you know, go from there and assemble a team and and get them to believe in in his philosophy. And I think that's the most important thing of, of all things. You know, I don't think... Uh, Beard has done anything different than most people, but I think he's done an excellent job in getting them to buy into what he's trying to to teach to them and what he's tra- how he's trying to get them to play. And obviously, Tony Bennett does the same thing because they've played like that for years and they've had a ton of success. Obviously, the first year that this is, you know, uh, has led to a national championship game, but he's had t- a ton of success over the last couple of years in the ACC. People don't realize how much that they've dominated the ACC the last three years during the regular season. Yeah, and get back to Virginia for a second in terms of talking about domination. What do they do on offense? And how is Guy and Jerome being able to get open for so many? It seems like, you know, they seem like they're shooting open three-pointers. Now they run the clock down, they actually run. But what do they do on offense to get themselves those shots that that it appears it's like? And that's going to be the question is, can this great Texas Tech defense that everybody's talking about, if we start seeing Virginia taking wide open threes, what would be Virginia be doing on offense that would be, that, that is the reason why they're getting those wide open threes and, and for them, for hoping for them, making them? Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, I think that they have bigs uh, at Virginia that are very willing screeners and excellent screeners. And then I think they have guards that do a great job of moving without the ball. Um, you know, it's a little bit – their system obviously is a little different than Golden State in terms of, uh, you know, Virginia is a little bit more pattern-oriented. But one of the things that those guys do that I think is very similar to Golden State is that they they really – move without the ball really well you know there's a there seems like there's Kyle Guy and, and Jerome are a lot like Clay Thompson constantly moving without the ball constantly using screens to get open because uh you know uh, Kyle Guy's obviously a very very athletic player uh, I don't think Jerome is as athletic uh but they use them really well they use the screen and they keep them moving and then obviously Hunter is you know phenomenal athlete and, and scorer and um, you know, I just think that they, they constantly are moving and constantly cutting and constantly making the defense work. Um, and if you get out of position or you try to gamble or you try to cheat, they make you pay for it. And I think that the combination of moving without the ball, with the way they pass and the way they screen, really allows them to be effective offensively. And 
you were in your college career. I, I don't know the exact percentage. I think you were probably like a 90 something percent foul shooter. And now we've seen these tournaments coming down to miss foul shots. I mean, even last night in the girls basketball game, Notre Dame lost a chance to send it to tie the game uh, when their star player missed a foul shot at the end. And Harper for Auburn missed a chance to take the to, in a, a lead in terms of taking when he missed his foul shot. I know. I mean, it's easy to say for instance, like, what you know, make your shot in practice, but how, is there a way that you approach and you've taken a lot of last minute shots at end the game at the foul line when you were a player in the NBA and a player in college and a player in Europe, did you have an, a different approach at the end of the game when it's like, you know, when all the pressure is on you, like what did you do to stay calm and make those shots when you know the entire game is riding on those shots and cow guy makes three shots and to win the game? Well, I think the most important thing is, is how you prepare and practice. You know, I see it all the time where guys, uh, you know, they go and, okay, you tell them, hey, you got to make 50 free throws. And they go and they make 50 free throws, but only 20 of them are done with the routine that they use in the game. And I've always been a big believer, even as a player, uh, and, and I've taken it over to coaching, that you have to practice the same routine over and over and over again. So when you get in those situations, uh, you remain calm. Because they're like how guy said, you know, you're nervous. You know, you got 70,000 fans up there. You've got to make all three free throws. Obviously, the nerves are going to be going, but you always fall back to the level of your training. So if you've done it the same way over and over and over thousands of times, I think that takes some of the, the edge off of it. Not to say you're going to make them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes you can practice a million of them and you step up and you still miss them. But I think that it, that it gives you a better chance to make it if you stay within that routine and you've practiced it a lot. So, and I guess from, <laughs> you feel that Virginia's going to win this game, but give me an overall summary in terms of what you think is going to happen. So we're going to have a national champion crowned in about, I guess, uh, two and a half or three and a half hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Virginia is the better team. Uh, obviously, um, Texas Tech has had a phenomenal run and played great defense. Uh, but I think the better team tonight is going to be Virginia. Uh, but, you know, like it's been said all, all along, one game you just never know. But I think in the end, Virginia's going to win the game. I think that they are going to execute their offense and continue to play, um, you know, at their pace that they play at and feel comfortable within in that game. And, uh, you know, probably make enough shots to win the game. But obviously it'll come down to, you know, who's going to who's going to make the big shots at the end i don't think this is a game where you're going to get away you know it's not going to be a 15 20 point game i think it's going to be you know kind of like the years before with nova and in north carolina you know coming down to the last two three possessions and who can who can execute best in those last two three possessions and who's going to step up thanks a lot mike for coming on and we'll be uh seeing what happens tonight in a couple hours sounds good thanks Mike Isolino is always welcome here on Iron Sports. Love the, um, you know, the the coaching tidbits that he can give you. Stuff that you wouldn't think about, you know, because we're not coaching players. So it's great to hear, you know, how to get it from his, you know, point of view because it really sheds some light onto some things that I, I would have never thought about, well, like the free throw thing. Well, it's, I, I compare it almost to golf. I mean, I'm not a golfer, but in terms of putting, I mean, how many people do you out there are great? You watch them in the putting green and they're sticking putts everywhere, but when it actually counts, I mean, they miss. <laughs> and it's and it's because he's right. You've got to be practicing. And I think what you see in a lot of these practices, like you don't shoot 53 throws in a row you actually mm. run the floor you go up and down be tired go to the line hit two free throws then run again that's how it is you don't you don't you never stand no one stands in the line and shoots 53 throws in a row it's shooting after you're tired after you're running after you're getting back there and someone hands you the ball and that's the key i mean i think that's what that we talked about practicing how you're going to practice in a game in game time conditions you're absolutely right he's ira this is ira on sports on 95.9 the true oldies channel at 731 i'm mike balsamo so ira you know this next game I was, you know, thinking. Well, I, I personally think Tom Izzo is the best coach in all of college uh, basketball. I thought that they were going to look a little bit better against Texas Tech than they did, but Michigan State uh, got got beaten pretty well. You know, it, it was similar to the Michigan game. I mean, I think Texas Tech should be like in the Big Ten this year because they played Michigan two rounds before, beat them sixty three forty four. Michigan shot thirty two percent, one for nineteen from three, and then at halftime it's twenty three twenty one Texas Tech. They uh, Texas Tech only Texas Tech was shooting thirty one percent. Culver, their star player, zero for six with one point. Moretti had no points, but Michigan State was seven for twenty three, thirty one percent. I mean, I'm not saying teams have to shoot fifty percent. But and when you're in the low 30s, that's really, really, really yeah. bad. But Cassius Winston, I mean, the weird thing is Michigan State had seven 
field goals and seven turnovers. I mean, that's how, and it was, it, again, people, that's what people are afraid of. This could be a low scoring game in terms of what would happen. But uh, uh, it, it seems like what happened is, again, in this game is that Mooney uh, was the star. I mean, he had the transfer from South Dakota State. He actually went to the Air Force, South Dakota State for two years. I mean, bounced around. I mean, they have all these transfers of the team, but he drained a lot of threes. Um, he ended up with 22 points uh, in, a, in a game where Culver was three for 12 with 10 points. It just seems that, that it's, it was like that was the key you know, moment in terms of how he played and was able to uh, uh, just take over in terms of the game. The weird thing is, is that Michigan State, when I thought the game was, it was sort of like this is going to be a blowout game. Michigan State did have a charge. They able to came, they came back. Uh, and uh, it was 52-40. They were up 52-47 with four minutes to go. But then Michigan State, Henry came in and had two free throws. And that's a player that's a freshman who played great against Duke, but who uh, was in foul trouble earlier. And that's what I heard Izzo talk after games. We got our younger players got in foul trouble. We got out of a rotation, and that hurt them. Uh, and then Culver, when it was 52-51, hit a, th- a two, make it 54-51. And then it was this key play. There was a couple, of, a couple of minutes to go where Cassius Winston, they ran the same play against Duke when Goins was going to hit that top from the top of the key, top of the key that shot that, that I think was the back breaker for Duke. They ran it, but they called an offensive foul on Cassius Winston from Michigan State. And that was sort of the turnover. That was sort of what I felt like, you know, turned the game. And that's when Culver then drained a three. I mean, he did close really well. I mean, this, the fact is the score was 52-51. Uh, and at 52 51, uh, Texas Tech and Michigan State went down four straight times and couldn't score. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't, so they cut back in the game, but they couldn't, uh, they couldn't do any more than that. And, uh, but I think going into this, going into this championship game, I, I agree with Mike. I think Virginia, I think one of the key things is that Virginia was there last year. They lost to UMBC. They, this same group of guys have played together for a couple, at least a couple years, almost all of them. I, they want to have revenge for being the only one seed to lose the 16 seed. They played in a lot of tough games together. You saw at the end uh, of the Auburn game how they played, how they actually got the right shots out. I think some of that familiarity is going to be the difference of the edge. Texas Tech has only played this year together. Uh, the players have just come together. Whereas I think Virginia has the experience, and I think they're just better shooters. I think Guy's a better shooter. I think Jerome's a better shooter. And I think that Hunter and Nikiji will actually be inside, will, will be more dominant inside. I, Virginia's not going to blow anyone out, but I wouldn't be surprised if they won by 10. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they had a game at like a 60-50 game because I think that Texas Tech could potentially, if Mooney is off and Moretti is off and Culver is off and not shooting and not getting shots, and, and I don't think they will be able to, to, to increase the pace, Virginia ends up winning the game. Ian, it's... Um if anything, this tournament has proven that a team that plays well together is better than you know the sum of the parts. So, and I think that's what Virginia does. Not that Texas Tech doesn't, but Virginia's shown that they're they're a team. They work together and they play defense. They play their style. Well- well, I like what Mike said. Mike said two things. That's why we, I want to ask about the offensive question on defense because Robert Morris. I forgot that two years ago Robert Morris played Virginia. Mm-hmm. But on on defense, they they don't say we're going to take one player out. They sort of take the passing lanes out. It's almost like they just stand. It's almost like in football where they stay, have their defensive linemen just like harass the quarterback so much. It's not like we have to cover everyone down the field. But if we can get to this quarterback where he can't even have time to throw the ball, yep. then nothing. So they they get in the passing lanes and on offense, how they set their screens. Their screens are great and they move so well without the ball, better than these other teams. So. I I think that's the difference. Um, let's talk about it. Official hot seat alert. Gino Oriema, Ira, what do you think? Three years now without winning a title for UConn ladies basketball. No, I, I kid, of course. Um, but this is another great game last night, and we have a uh, new champion when it comes to the women. Well, Notre Dame beat Connecticut in the semifinals, um, and, and Gino Oriema has won 11 national championships. I, I don't know. You know, there's something weird about this. The fact that he's now lost in three final fours because everyone said it's so easy, they're so dominant. But then you see these other teams like South Carolina win, Baylor win, Notre Dame win and it's almost makes as it makes them seems like well you know what they weren't just beating nobody these other teams are really really good and there are other players the I competition's think makes, gotten a lot better in the last decade they've too. got better but I gotta still I still and you know I still give Gino Oram a ton of credit oh, I think he's a, a phenomenal coach he doesn't have all because look even if he had Zion and RJ Barrett he's still winning the titles whereas Coach K <laughs> hasn't won the titles but what do you mean 13 straight final fours <laughs> yes, I mean yes. it's just absurd but it was this Chloe Jackson for Baylor I mean it was interesting that Lauren Cox I mean it was an exciting game to watch because Lauren Cox is the is the star player for Baylor 
Taylor, and she got injured at the end of the third. They played quarter. She got injured at the end of the third quarter. They're up 10 points. And when she went out of the game, the Notre Dame cut and, and took the lead, came back. Mm-hmm. And Cox is on the bench. She's in a she's with a wheelchair. They're wheeling her out. She's on crutches, and she's willing her to, you know, rooting for her team, and they're trying. And uh, um, Chloe Jackson had two, like, Michael Jordan-type shots at the end of the game to win it. Uh, but Ogawabi who I pronounced it probably poorly for Notre Dame, uh, got fouled and chance to tie it. And she missed her first, first foul shot. And then she tried to make miss her second foul shot, but that went in and they ended up losing the game. Uh, and uh, it was, I, you would like, I liked, I thought Baylor controlled the game. I thought they deserved to win. And I would hate for them to have lost because their star player got hurt in the, at the end of the third quarter. So I think it was great. And it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, I thought it was great. It was good. And the atmosphere in Tampa was great. It was very loud for, you see in the final four, it's sometimes very quiet because they play in these, these uh, huge stadiums, but they played where the hockey team plays, so it was more of a basketball arena, and it was a great atmosphere for the game. Um, let's talk about uh, the NBA, Ira. And this, if you're a Miami Heat fan, you've got to be disappointed the way this season went. Uh, I mean, th- it's it's not like they you know got bad luck here and didn't make it. They had plenty of opportunities to seize at least part of this season, you know, by the reins and make the playoffs, and they're not going to go. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on in the East. Well, today, the big stories in all the national news was the Heat were robbed yesterday in the Toronto game. Because at the end of the game, it was very weird. I, I really have not ever seen it. The referee, with the Heat having a chance to make this shot, it was, one for, it was tied going in before overtime. And the referee took the blue his whistle. And they blew the whistle, so the Heat ran a play. But he never gave the ball to the young waiters. He never handed the ball. Mm. So then Toronto saw what play the Heat were going to run. And then he handed the ball, and they were all discombobulated, and they got a horrendous shot off. So And, and, they, and they went to overtime, and they lost. And they're like, oh, the Heat were robbed of the playoffs because of that last play. Well, no, the Heat were robbed of the playoffs because they have lost to Phoenix and lost mm. to everybody. And they, Orlando it's, three times. It's, and then they come into this week. We were on our show last Monday. They had four games upcoming, and they had a one-game lead. They lost all four games. Now, a team that loses going into a playoff stretch, losing four, doesn't deserve to make the playoffs. You cannot blame a referee. They played. They lost at Boston, uh, 110-105. Uh, it was, uh, Drogic was in the starting lineup. He scored 30 points. And Bama Bio has played great at the end. Like, he had 19 points, 14 rounds. He's someone who I... Boy, if he takes one more step up, he's going to be like, he's good defensively. He's improving his offensive game. I really like him. But the, the Celtics jumped out. And again, a must-win game, the Celtics jumped out to a 30-8 lead. A 32-8 lead. <laughs> yeah, that's how, then they went back on Wednesday in Miami, and the Celtics jumped out to a 9-0 lead. And Whiteside had a great game, 18 points, 15 rebounds. But, but Wade scored 17 points. But it's interesting. Now, this is a point seeing Boston play now two games in a row. Gordon Hayward has come on and starting playing great for them. So everybody like me who was sort of saying, mm, I don't think Boston's going to beat Milwaukee. I think they're going to lose in that second round. They, if Hayward plays like he was shot nine for nine one game, he had 25 points. I mean, he's now in the 20s. He's playing great. Kyrie looks like he's got his act together. Like they started to play they better. Now they lo- ended up losing to Orlando on Sunday. But it, the two games against the Heat, they played well. But the game that hurt the Heat was they played on Friday night. They go to Minnesota to play. Minnesota, which is out of the playoffs. It doesn't even care. And it's a must-win game for Miami. And they and they end up losing the game. I mean, it was the it was horrendous. Uh, uh, the, Wade made this great steal at the end of the game going down by one. But he had a chance to win the game with a three. He missed the shot. And then they come back. And yes, last yesterday at, for, against Toronto, <laughs> at 117-109, they lose in overtime. And it was just another terrible, terrible loss. Now, the only way for them to get in right now at this point, well, the thing is that the Magic, they the, these other teams have lost. Detroit lost twice to Indiana, Oklahoma City, and Charlotte. So they lost four times, too. Um, the Magic lost to Toronto, but they beat New York, Atlanta, and Boston. And the Nets lost to Milwaukee. These other teams have lost, and they still were able to get through. But uh, they need the, the Pistons to actually lose to Memphis on Tuesday and to the Knicks on Wednesday. <laughs> and then they need Charlotte, who's now caught them, to lose one of their two games. And the Heat have to win Tuesday against the Sixers and Wednesday uh, and Wednesday against the Nets to get in. And now that's why Tuesday everyone thinks it's going to be Dwayne Wade's last game because yep. they'll probably be eliminated on Tuesday and that'll be his home game. And the tickets prices are through the roof. I mean, I can see what people are asking for and I'll definitely go to the game, but I was shocked at the pricing for it. I mean, they're treating it like the NBA Finals for the <laughs> Dwayne Wade's last game. Um, it looks like the Sixers have, might not even play any of their starters because they could rest everybody. So it'll be a weird game. But um, it, this could be Dwayne Wade's and I'll be at the game tomorrow night. 
I'll talk about it on the show. We'll talk about the emotions of it. Uh, the, great, the greatest player in Miami history, by far one of the greatest players in the history of the NBA, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, will be playing his final game. And there's no way he's coming back. I mean, I think he's been so, I've never been so, I've never been more certain that someone's, like when Floyd Mayweather announced his retirement, you're like, uh, or Conor McGregor, mm. this one is totally, he's done. Um, well, he did say he's going to, uh, probably seek therapy. And, you know, he's he's mentally like I'm I'm retiring. He's really got a good farewell tour too. You can't kind of come back after this. I've heard this kicked around a lot. Um, is he a better? Is he the best Miami athlete ever before uh, Dan Marino? Yeah, I think he's won a title. I think you'd have to. I, I think I think the titles have have done it for him. I mean, the one title, the fact that he was so dominant in the first playoff series against Dallas, and and when people think about who had the best NBA Finals when he averaged thirty six points, and just everybody remembers those Finals, just an amazing performance. And then he wins two Finals for with LeBron and Bosh. Um, I I think it's clearly I, by far he's the best. I think he's. I don't think it's close between him and Marino. I think it's a good question if Marino would have won a title, but without winning a title, when Dwayne Wade's won three. I mean, it was funny that Paul Pierce came out. I mean, the big debate is yeah, now. The, the, nice Paul Pierce. Pierce said that I'm better than Dwayne Wade, where I, I don't, there's no way that Paul Pierce was better than Dwayne no, Wade. No, not even close. <laughs> he's really, um, he's all about the uh, the likes and the, the retweets these days, it seems like. Um, let's talk about the West here, Ira. The West, it's been set for a month. But the interesting thing is that I think the Nuggets are like dead man walking. Like they're the number two seed. They're going to be the, they could be the number three, depending. The problem is that the Rockets could catch them. So there's only two games left. The Rockets have one, but the Nuggets have two. So, but if you're, if you're sitting at six, seven, and eight, or or six, seven, and eight, which is uh, San Antonio, the Clippers, and Oklahoma City, they're sitting at those positions. Like you want to play the Nuggets because Denver to me is playing terrible. But how do you know? Like you don't know if you should be, you can't predict if you win or lose. You really want to be the person that, whoever's, ending up playing the Nuggets, I'm almost going to predict that they're going to win. That's how bad I think the Nuggets are. Um, but the first round series is going to be uh, between uh, the J- Portland and, and Utah. That'll be a really good first round series, Portland uh, between the 4-5. And then Golden State. I mean, it's like one of those things where I think one through one, two, and, and the Houston looks like they're playing awesome right now. So it really looks like it's going to be Golden State and Houston. But it's interesting to see what Oklahoma City with, with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. I mean, I'm really excited for the playoffs this year. The first round in the East, probably not that exciting. That second round, when you have those great. four good teams. Because I could make the case for Milwaukee, a strong case, Philadelphia, and, and, and Boston, and Toronto. I, I right now think, and we're going to talk about it next I week. I think the matchups will be huge. Who, who plays who? I like how Toronto's playing. I think Toronto, I think, right. I think the matchups are important. I like Toronto to win. But it's going to be, you could have two seven-game series in the East. I mean, there could be two seven-game series and then another seven-game series. That's how close those four teams are. Uh, I agree with you. And yeah, it's... <laughs> It's been a while since we've been really looking forward to an Eastern Conference uh, playoff bracket. You know? No, it's been it's been LeBron. I mean, as I said, we talked yeah. about, and you mentioned, I mean, Leonard and Irving are really the only ones who even played in the finals of anybody in the East, so it'll be really great to see these teams. And and I, it'll be interesting because I think, whether, if it's not Toronto, this is like, I think whoever comes through could be like setting their pace, like we're now the team of the East going forward and seeing what happens. Um, good, so good it'll point. be really interesting to see who now takes control of the it, East. That, that's, that's a really smart way to look at it because someone could take over the reins, and this could be what it takes to keep Kawhi in Toronto. Not not that I think it's going to happen, but you go to the finals, you know, then that might be what it takes. I, last year, no one thought Paul George. You saw the year that Paul George is having. Paul I think George, he, he could be MVP. Easily. And, and and people are talking about Paul. I mean, he's second in the scoring, leading in scoring. If Paul George, everyone thought he was going to LA. I mean, he's from LA. Everyone thought, and he ended, when he made that announcement, I was in Miami at the time. I like, no, he's not staying in Oklahoma That's City. what I thought. Everyone was blown away. He didn't even take a visit. So you just don't know. I mean, it's like weird. You just don't know where these players are going to go. And 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 that's and so I think the point is, you're right. Any Anything could happen. If Toronto wins the title, maybe Leonard and Leonard's like the toast of to the town, then why not stay there? <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Um, all right, let's talk about the Ira on Sports NBA Awards. Um, Ira, I think we're a little bit um, a little bit disagreeing on MVP here, but what do you, you like? I like Harden. I think it's close. I mean, I think it's one of those where I could go either way. It's so close between both of them. But 36 points a game. Uh, Chris Paul was out for a bulk of the season, and Harden played amazing. Uh, I think he does. His defense has improved. He's playing better. He's he's just his performance is night in night out. He's if they don't he doesn't have a great game they're gonna they, he has to he has to play great and he's done phenomenal. Uh, what about rookie of the year? Um, Doncic barely, but yeah, I think good. that. But I think going forward, I like Doncic. Like I like him as a player better. I think he's the he's the he's a better per Dallas. Uh, Trey Young for Atlanta has come on and played great. But and, and it's interesting. Is Trey Young going to become a Steph Curry type of player? He's small, uh, but he's learned how to play. But in this way, we talked about in the, in the league this year that you can. Uh, 
you don't really you can be weak defensively and still be a ve- his offense his shooting threes his passing he's played much better when we had we talked about the draft last year and we thought who Colin Sexton was going to be better than him I think Trey Young had a better year than Colin Sexton I think he really had a very good year for Atlanta but Atlanta was a bad team and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see but Doncic you can see is going to be like a next year could be you know one of the top three top on the top three teams for the All NBA teams you know and speaking of the All NBA team what is this Ira it's been a decade plus. That LeBron has been first team All NBA and probably not this year. Well, he's been on All NBA team for All NBA for first team for eleven years. Now there's some thought that he won't be even on the third team, which I don't believe. Like they're gonna put him at least on the third team. I and I think they're still gonna even put him on the second team. But um, but I don't still think he's gonna be off the whole thing. The interesting thing about these All NBA teams, though, is that for Clay Thompson, Carlton Towns, Bradley Beal, Kemba Walker. Uh, if you get on one of the third teams, you actually earn more money and you actually get mm. your contract reset. So it's really weird. It's like worth almost like $30 million. I didn't know that. So it's a huge deal the way they they, they lock them up. But I like I think Curry should be on the first team with Westbrook, probably over Westbrook, Lillard, and Kyrie. Harden, uh, Giannis, uh, Atupike, uh Durant over Quali Leonard, just because Durant played more games than Leonard. And then but barely over George. I mean, it's a, that's a tough call between Kevin Durant and Paul George. Yeah, that's and the hardest one. That it's it's they. I I like Durant because I think he's just. I think as I said, I think that he's. But I think that's even. I mean, I could not criticize you taking Paul George. It, over, there's no loser. There's there. no loser in that. And uh, it's. I think they should almost do these awards though after the playoffs. Like I think it's a, it's nice for regular season, but I wish they would wait to the after the playoffs over. I think that I think we should wait it because the playoffs are two months long. Let's mm. give some weight to that. Yeah, I guess they, that's not how they're looking at it. You know, it's just like a regular season award, which does get a little bit annoying. Uh, we should mention, too, since we were talking about, uh, you know, not the best thing happening in, in Miami with uh, the Heat um, probably not making the playoffs, but good news today for the Panthers. Joel Quenneville, uh, you might see uh, Chicago Blackhawks coach won all those Stanley Cups. Panthers got him today. So that, that's a huge, huge coup for the Panthers. A lot of teams looking for coaches. He chose South Florida. Well, the Panthers gave up their coach who went to Las Vegas and was successful there. So, you know, sometimes in the one thing in hockey is they, re, first of all, they seem to fire. It says every coach get fired at the end of the year in hockey. It's like every <laughs> single one. It's like it gets hired, but they all get hired like a day later by somebody else and they reshuffle them around. So that would be good in terms of, I mean, the, 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 uh, the Panthers have a lot of talent on their team. And I think that it's like one thing is in hockey, they just feel like if they just get the right coach who can utilize the talent, they can win. Absolutely. And as a Ranger fan, I've been seeing this for years. I'm just rotating these coaches that don't kind of fit uh, fit the mold here. Ira, we've got about, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 minutes left. It's Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. It's one of the most exciting weeks of the year. I'm a big golfer, I'm a big golf fan, and the Masters is here. Let's talk about it. This is awesome. I mean, this is really... <laughs> it really is. And I don't... I, I want to... What I want to... I just, I mean, the one thing where people don't follow, don't follow golf that much, the Masters has become the elite golf tournament. It's a Super Bowl. And the reason yes, is it they is. play it, it's the, considered the best golf course in the world. It's played the same time. They have a limited field. The, the most tournaments have, like, US Open, 156 players at the US Open. There's only, only 87 players at the Masters. They have all these crazy rules. You can't bring your cell phone on. You have, you can't really have tickets. It's, it's all, it's just, it's so different than any other golf tournament. And it's so beautiful. And the people love the course. They they love everything about it, and they may, it somehow elevated. I think 20 years ago, the U.S. Open was more prestigious, mm-hmm. uh, but right now, the Masters is, I think, totally surpassed everything, um, and also the fact they don't air commercials that much. It's only like two, three minutes of commercials. It's just a different type of tournament, and the, and the players that have won it, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Tiger, Phil, when your top players of the game win it, win it this is the this is what they're gearing to. These other tournaments that we've talked about during the year don't matter. This is all that matters. I mean, so much so that... I, that if we talk about like Pat, the last two winners, Sergio Garcia and Patrick Reed, who are really good golfers, after they won the Masters, they've collapsed. Yeah. They've been terrible. Sergio Garcia missed every single uh, <laughs> cut last year of every major. Uh, and Patrick, he wouldn't trade it for the Patrick, world. And right, and the idea is that they wouldn't. They would. That green jacket is so important. It's so valuable. It's such a tournament. It's almost like winning it is so. It's just like it, you just. You, all, it should be the end of the year. It should be the tournament they play, and they mm. get three, four months off and not play again. Like if I won, if I won the Masters, like they, they should just not play for a month. Like is that that's. So so prestigious to do. It's interesting you say that, though, and I, I I agree. I think if you polled every single player, what tournament would he want to win? Every single player is saying the Masters. So it's their Super Bowl. They're, they're they treat it that way. The players. Have you ever been? I have. I'm gonna go next year. This year I was gonna. I'm gonna go to. I was gonna go to the PGA at Beth Page. This year I. I just next year will be. I will go to Masters next year. Uh, let's talk about you know how you think this is gonna play out and who you think can win. 
so I broke this down. I have this weird way because I was looking at the odds. I looked at ESP. I looked at all the sites who people predicted. And my whole thing was looking at, have you done well in the Masters before? And are you playing well now? And that's the key thing. And what you find is that there's a lot of people who have won, done well in the Masters. There's a lot of them who we, the name players, they're not really playing well right now. And then, but there's just a few that actually have shown experience. And there's, there's players that have played or are playing well now that haven't done well with the Masters, which you could have doubt maybe, well, was this the year they're going to turn it on? And typically you really have to have success at the mm -hmm. Masters to be successful there. But when you think about this, Rory McIlroy, I mean, he's at eight to one. He's at eight to one. I think he's the heavy favorite to win this tournament. He, uh, he he needs to be. He's playing great. I mean, he is his 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 in the majors. He's has four major titles and fifty. He could have been winning this. He could have he has four majors, fifteen titles before thirty. He would join Woods and Nicholas in doing that. He's actually joined them. But um, he started the year with five straight top six finishes. He won the players at minus sixteen under. Uh, so he's had a hot year. He's played great. And the last five Masters, he's been eight, four, ten, seventeen, and five. I mean, so he's been he's played well at the Masters. He just hasn't won it. This is the one he has to win for the career Grand Slam. He has experience playing here. I think he's at the right age, the right knowledge, the right experience. We had in terms of, we had Andrew Cotillon last week who said the players that have had played it enough have that extra experience. So I think he has the combination of being in his prime and also the experience where I think he's the heavy favorite. Dustin Johnson, another one. He was ninth in the Genesis this year, fifth, and he won. He, he uh, uh, fifth in the players. He just won the World Golf Championships by five strokes over Rory. But he's been six, four, and ten in three of the last four years. So he's played well. He's at ten to one. And Justin Rose. I mean, Justin Rose is that player that people are just not talking about in the last four years. Two, ten, and twelve in there. He, he won lost the, in a playoff. And lost in a playoff, right? And already he's won the Farmers Open this year. He's eighth in the players. Um, I mean, I really think he, this guy. If he's again runner up two of the last four years, you're looking at someone. And then, and then he's fourteen to one. And here's a little long shot, but someone who Paul Casey. Now and he's been. This is in his last four Masters. Six four, six, and 15. So in the last fours, he's been top six, three of the last four, but he's also won the Valspar. He was third in the World Golf Championships and two in Pebble Beach. I'm shocked that he's 30 to one. Like I think that Paul, I mean, here's a guy who's done both. And then you have some of these other guys who have, they're playing okay right now, but have great master's history. We talk about Bubba Watson, who you just can't count out. I mean, Bubba Watson's won it twice, mm -hmm. but he's also finished 50th, 38th, 37th, <laughs> and missed the cut, and he finished fifth last year. So you just can't cut, you can't have, and he's played, he was fourth in Valsper two weeks ago, so he's playing okay, mm -hmm. so he's at 35 to one. And Adam Scott won it in 2013, and he was third in the PGA last year. He's played good this year. We, he was seventh in the Genesis, the 12th in the players, but I, you just don't know about Adam Scott, but he, that that's someone who I say is playing okay right now. And then Brooks Kepka is his own little category by himself because he's won three of the last four majors. He's won two U.S. Opens, PJ Championship. But in the Masters, he's never finished in the top 10 in 3-1. So is this the year that Brooks really takes this over? I mean, he's really proven that he can win these majors. He's great at winning majors, but can this be? And then the other guys, like these new hot guys, like John Rahm and T Tommy Fleetwood, they've really only played these tournaments a couple times. Fleetwood, uh, uh, Fleetwood, not much, but you know, one's twenty-five to one. Rom's twenty to one. Rom last year was uh, he, he was fourth in the in the Masters and fourth in the PGA, but he missed the cut in the U.S. Open and the British mm -hmm. Open. So the fact is, is can Rom and Fleetwood, these young golfers that everyone thinks are so, you know, are they going to break in? And then you have these guys. These are the I call. They're hot now, but they haven't really done anything in the Masters. Molinari, who's eighteen to one, who's playing phenomenal. He won Bay Hill, but he didn't even qualify in 2015-16. He's finished 33rd and 20. I mean, he's really not done well here, but he won the British Open last year. So he's won majors, but just not played well at the, at the Masters. And Justin Thomas from right around this area from, you know, he, of course, this year, uh, uh, great tournaments, but in the Masters, 39th, 22nd, 17th, mm. not really played well. So, and then it gets down to, so, that, so that's why I think, Roy, when you look at the players, but then you have all these players that really have not, that have played well in the Masters, but don't have a good year. Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Jor Jordan Spieth this year. If, I mean, 30th in the Valero. He missed the cut in the players. 54th in the World Golf Championship. Yeah, what is going on, man? 54th in the Genesis. <laughs> and he's in the Masters. But, that, so that's, but then you say, well, okay, he's out. The guy hasn't broken the top 30 at any tournament this year. But look at his last Masters. Second, first, second, 11th, third. I mean, that's, I mean, so you think, how in the world can someone, I mean, how can someone like Phil Mickelson's at 45 to one, but he had that great run where he knows exactly what to do. I mean, he's, you know, his first or second in a, a number of years. Um, and then of course, Tiger. 
uh, who's been 20th at the Farmers, 15th in Genesis, 10th in the World Golf, and 30th in Players. But, I mean, I love running these. I was great getting these old masters, like where he went one year, he went um, first, first, uh, 15th, 22nd, first, third, second, 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 six, four, four. I mean, it's like, this is sick. No yeah. one finishes in the top. I mean, he's treating the tournament like it's a it's his own little tournament. So, and then you have golfers like Tony Finau, who everyone thought last year was going to be great, and uh, that really has not had a great year this year. But when And then, of course, of the two we mentioned before, Patrick Reed and Sergio Garcia. I mean, Patrick Reed won it last year, and he was 50th in Bay Hill, 47th in players, and missed the cut in value. I mean, he's had he's had like a year like Spieth, and Sergio has done nothing since winning it, except like get on TV for uh, breaking up, for for destroying greens, and for, <laughs> for making a mess in sand traps. So when I come to think of it, I mean, Tiger's been favorite, a heavy favorite in many of these years, but I think this is... This is really Rory's year. He's playing great. He knows the tournament, and he's experienced in this tournament, and he's played well in this tournament. This is his year to win the tournament. Um, well, you want to talk about a little bit about technology plays into this? Because it's a little bit of opposite of what you, you learn about golf. Well, there's this great article in Sports Illustrated, and I love reading these long articles because so much of what we read in sports right now are tweets and short little stories, but they had this long, long article about, about the difference in golf and how it used to be you drive for, uh, drive for show and you putt for dough. But really now it's driving for dough and putting for show. Like it's really the driving is so much more important. Um, the average drive in the tour has increased 38 uh, yards in the last four decades because you have fitter players, Tiger. Mm. You have better clubs and better balls. Uh, and they really put to the article to the uh, 2000, the Titleist Pro 6 ball really changed everything. And, and this stat, I love some of these stats, is that they have this thing in 1980, your driving accuracy to scoring was 53%, and your putting, uh, your, your was the, the, in terms of you being accurate rather than distance, was 53% to 12%. And now it's totally reversed, where you can drive as far as you want, and that, that's what counts more than being accurate at all. Like Luke Donald was known as being the most accurate driver ever, and he was number one in the world in 2011. Now he's ranked 652. And to give an example of where distances are, and at age 61, Bernard Langer averages 282 yards at 61, 282 yards when he was 28 years old. Now, this, he averaged 269. He's averaging 23 yards it's more, crazy. and he's at, at 40 more years <laughs> or 30, 33 years older, and he's averaging 23 more yards. Um, so it just – and it talked about how the courses – this big discussion because the masters on the par 5 13th is going they're going to make it longer they're adding more territory a lot of these courses are actually changing and they said look well at Shinnecock Kepka won it with one under in night last year in 1986 Floyd won at one under so the same thing because they changed the course you change thing because there's this big drive to change with the balls and the clubs and they can't change the golfers they can't make them weaker they can't make them but they can <laughs> they can but it was just interesting in terms of technology in terms of the emphasis uh, uh, about the fact that driving distance is so much more important and I think you're going to see this at the Masters where people don't people don't mind you know not hitting every fairway that it's so important to get this distance that they're going to sacrifice accuracy for distance um, well so let's run some baseball predictions real quick not the fastest start for the Red Sox but you think they're probably still going to hang on to win the AL East well, that, another thing is a baseball. Don't everyone's going nuts about the beginning of the year. You can't look at it. It's 162 games. Mm -hmm. It lasts forever. The Red Sox were on the West Coast for their West Coast trip. Like, I mean, if a team started out nine and zero, I wouldn't be excited. If they were zero and nine, I wouldn't be excited. Like, it's such a long season that it and they go through stretches that it does. This beginning of the season, I really think. Like, I look at the standings and you look at it, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I mean, this is April. It's it's a, the game season started in March, but. I like the Red Sox a lot. I like Bats, Martinez, Bogarts. And the Yankees do have these injuries, and they concern me. And I don't like their starting pitching at all. Uh, to, uh, um, Severino looks like he's really hurt. Tanaka, yeah, they brought Paxton, the and they thought Sabathia half. Like, I don't, I'm not sold on the. I know their relievers are great, but I think the Red Sox win the division. I think it's the same thing as last year. Red Sox win the division, Yankees win the wild card. Um, and then either the Indians or Minnesota in the Central. But I love the Astros. Like, the Astros, to me, are winning. Like, they're going to beat the Red Sox. They... They are amazing. And there's another article I read in Sports Illustrated about technology and about how the Astros and the Dodgers use it and are able to identify and love to bring someone on the show and talk about it. But they added Brantley. Um, they, they have the best lineup and they're pitching Verlander Cole. They brought this guy McHugh in from the bullpen and they're making a starter. Who And I mean, I just think now they have a Suna the whole year as a closer, one of the best closers. Mm. Um, I, I think the Astros are going to run away. I mean, the Astros to me are like a 110, 115 win game. And I think they're going to win. I think they'll win the world. I think they'll win the world. They're going to, I think the Astros 
Astros Dodgers will be a repeat of two years ago getting the World Series. But probably maybe the Angels the other wild card. Like I, there has to be another wild card. So I would think the Yankees and the Angels would be the two wild cards. What about uh, the National League? Anything uh, you want to touch on? I like the Mets. I saw, I've been talking about. I like the Durham Syndicate. I think this is the year their pitchers come forward. I think their hitters hit. And I think how quickly the NL East t- completely turned around. You know, it, it, Atlanta's it, good. The Phillies are going right. to be good. I think it's the Mets, and I think it's the Phils. I think the Phils with Harper. I think it's different. They added they added Segura. They added Romotro. I think Nola's going to. They have a good pitching. They added David Robertson in the bullpen. They made some changes. I think Harper has added a lot of excitement. I think this is a team that needed a jolt, and they probably you know who cares Harper ten years from now whatever for this year they needed that jolt. I think. He provides it, um, and I think that Mets and the Phils. I think Mets win the division. Phils win the wild card. Boy, I like the Brewers a lot. The Brewers are really, yeah, really you know. good. I mean, and you look at Yelich, how he started. They have Kane and Braun and Mostakis. They added their Grandall from the Dodgers, the catcher who could probably play well. Like, and they have just this great bullpen. So I really like them. The Dodgers are amazing. I mean, the Dodgers are so loaded. They have so many players. They can lose a player like Machado. They bring Seager back. They, they have so many players and so many pitchers. Walker Bueller's becoming their star. I mean, Kirk, Clayton Kershaw could be the third best pitcher. Um, and I think, so I really like the Dodgers. Even Kent Tomatoes looking good. You know, they, they just, they pull these guys out. Of they, it, I think it's Dodgers and Brewers. They would probably play. And I would say that the Red Sox and the Astros. Red Sox, Astros, Dodgers, Brewers. And, uh, and then I would think it would be Dodgers and Astros and the, and, and the uh, Astros winning it. But uh, these teams are really good. Like when you compare what the Astros have to these, to like the Pirates, it's like amazing the Pirates are even in the same league as, as how well the Astros are or how good they are. All right. So who's your MVPs? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Yelich again. I, I like I think Milwaukee's a team. I think he's I think he sold in that. I really like him playing in there. Four home runs his first four yeah, games. <laughs> and I and, and I know Trout's off to start. I know people are gonna say you look at the stats already. I think Trout's gonna win the MVP this year. I think he signed the contract. I think he's a lot to prove, and I think he's gonna put up a monster year, like something like 50 home runs. And I think the Angels are gonna break them. I think this year the Angels could. If the Angels look, if the Angels just make a wild card, then that's that's great. And people are gonna say, well, that's fantastic. What about uh, your Cy Youngs? Verlander uh, for the Astros and DeGrom. Boy, DeGrom for the, the Mets. Uh, we saw, I saw him in spring training twice. Uh, he looked great in spring training. I mean, he looks – I mean, this guy, is, he's playing – he's at another level. He's throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, and it's effortless. I mean, he looks like a closer. When Jacob DeGrom pitches, it's almost like you're bringing your closer in for like eight innings of baseball. That's how good he is. Yeah. No, he's ridiculous. I, I will say I think Snell's going to lock down this Cy Young. Another amazing – that guy's just unhittable. He's just filthy. I think he had uh, 11 Ks today, 13 last week. I mean, he's dirty when he's on the mound. It doesn't help that his team doesn't win many games, but they're in first place in, in the uh, East right now, so who knows. Real quick, the Steelers and Antonio Brown always seem to find their way into the headlines. What's going on with him and Juju? Nothing because Juju's so popular, and I love to. I can't believe how people talk about this so much. But it became a story because because um, uh, it beca- it became a big story because uh, uh, Juju had been never said anything wrong against Antonio Brown. Actually, was complimentary everything. But then he made a tweet about saying, "I really like playing for the Steelers." That's all he said. I like playing with Ben Roethlisberger. Someone sent something like now it's been weeks later to Antonio Brown. I just somebody on the internet said, "Boy, remember Juju was the MVP," and then Antonio Brown wrote. Uh, just t- do not listen to any NFL player who got paid yet. They will do anything to make sure they're going to get paid, even if they're compromising. He said that before. And then, and then he goes, oh, emotion. Boy fumbled the whole postseason in the biggest game of the year. Everyone went blind to busy making guys famous enough, not making plays. It was sort of like rambling. Yeah, non-coherent. But just non-coherent. But he totally blasted Juju, which was so, who was so popular, who didn't go out of his way, never criticized anything Antonio Brown. And then, then, then Juju responded, but then he goes, I liked his quote. It was from Mark Twain. And I heard like, I think uh, another a, a rapper said this is, never argue with fools. Passersby cannot tell the difference. And uh, so this was this whole debate where he's trying to pick a fight. And then what's so funny is Lavian Bell, who left the Steelers, is saying, I'm still friends with James Conner. <laughs> So, and then it was like, but I think Antonio Brown, it's a situation where he is just like, I mean, he's just throwing punches when he doesn't have to do it at all. And uh, it was, it's just, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting story, but Juju's popular. But it's like Antonio Brown, you got paid your $30 million. You're in a situation. You are exactly what just you wanted. Shut just shut up and play. <laughs> Stop talking about the Steelers. Um, great article. I believe it was on uh, Bleacher Report about Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. It was a long read and I, I, every paragraph got better. 
you got to read that. That is very interesting. And it's sort of like when you look at, I love reading history and this is almost historical and it's actually current because you actually watch it and you saw a complete dysfunction. Now, someone who I'm an Aaron Rodgers hater, I think he's overrated. Uh, I'm the great quarterback, but not the greatest of all time. But when you first heard the reports of the story, I think nobody wanted to read it. It was all, all about Aaron Rodgers being terrible. I read the story. It's like, well, it seemed like it was total dysfunction. You had a coach that really couldn't relate to his co-quarterback, a quarterback who didn't want to relate to the coach, and a coach who was who ran the same plays for the first couple of years when they won the Super Bowl or 51, but didn't change anything up. And then a general manager just said, look, we're not going to bring uh, receivers that our coach wants or a quarterback wants. We're just going to put rookies out there. That didn't make any sense. And then you had a ownership, which is sort of their own by the town of Green Bay and the shareholders, and, Mr. and Mark Murphy is like the uh, chairman of the board who really didn't want to get involved with it all. So it was a total dysfunction environment that should have been changed years ago not just now yeah. and I so I don't think when the, first, the article first came out they go Aaron Rodgers is a terrible teammate he's the worst I don't think he came across I think everybody came off as bad like it seemed mm-hmm. like that's why they didn't win they've only won one Super Bowl title and they should have won numerous Super Bowl titles and they don't even make the playoffs some years right. <laughs> you know it's, and it's they've, never, they've only been to one Super Bowl that's yeah. the other thing and uh, but it seems like boy what a, it'll be interesting in terms of uh, uh, their new coach who came from Sanford, from the Rams mm-hmm. and now you're putting a young coach in that environment and how he's going to deal with Rodgers and and it was interesting when they hired the the coach they didn't even call <laughs> he says don't be the problem the, the article is like he told they told mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers we've hired a coach Aaron don't be the problem yeah, Matt LaFleur don't be the problem here right. absolutely ridiculous I did love that the article named names of like these are real former players quoting like you could put me on record for saying this about well, Aaron Greg Rogers. Jennings who was one of yeah. his best wide receivers said Aaron Rodgers is a diva Ryan Grant, out of control, and Ryan Grant and they oh my gosh I mean both sides have been blasting everybody um, but I, I think it was like one of those things where it looks like you know they have sort of that Braves type feel where it's like boy they had that run of 10 years uh, and they only won one title and there should have they left they like they left titles they should have won there should have been more titles won and what happened super quick what's going on in uh, boxing and mma Vasily Lomachenko is fighting. Uh, some people consider he's a past pound for pound fighter now that Mayweather retired. It's interesting because it's uh, it's um, it, you know he's fighting the Staples Center. They're really trying to build him as boxing as the next star. He's on ESPN Plus. That's on Friday. Then on Saturday, uh, Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier in UFC two thirty six. They fought years ago. This is two thirty six. They fought at UFC like a hundred and I don't know another one of the old UFC fights, and they came back as featherweights. Now they're fighting as lightweights. And Holloway is a tough guy. You know he. Um, Khabib offered to fight him. They, they ever, Tony Ferguson dropped out, and they said, "You have nine days to fight Khabib." And he said, "Yeah, I'll fight him." Like I mean, so anyone who's ready to fight Khabib, the one who destroyed McGregor on nine days' notice, and the New York Boxing Commission said, Athletic Commission said, "No, no, no, we're not going to allow this fight." So, um, but anyway, so that should be interesting. But what's interesting is it's on ESPN Plus, and it's going to be way. We'll see. This is the first time it's going to be on that, and how you stream it, how you get it. It's not to be through traditional TV. So it's all everything's changing with pay per view, and we're like in the middle of it, and. It, it, it was getting so easy just to turn your TV on and click on a button and watch it. Now you can't really do that anymore. We are out of time. Mike Isolino, our good friend uh, from Robert Morris, popped by. We got a, uh, a, a national championship going down in just about an hour and 10 minutes, Ira. It should be a good one. Thank you so much for uh, everything you threw on it tonight. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.